Okay, we're headed back into 1 Corinthians together. If you have your Bibles and want to follow along, we're in the second half of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're almost done with this marvelous letter. And You know, a lot of times in my life, I think things need to change. They do. One of them just yesterday, I got so frustrated and angry because it turns out there's someone out there who has taken my email and changed it a little bit dax.gracebellingham.gmail and started emailing people that I know asking them for money. Isn't that terrible? It made me so mad. I wanted to find out who it was. I'm trying to call Google. I'm trying to do all these things to figure out who would do that. How terrible it is that people do those sorts of things. That's got to change, I thought, in my heart. If we could just get people to stop doing these crazy bad things, we'd be closer to heaven. Then I look in the mirror and I start doing the same sort of stuff to myself. Man, Dax, you sit around all day. When are you going to work out and get stronger? It's time to do some dieting. You know, but Thanksgiving's coming in Christmas. Oh, oh no, I, I don't like who I am. I want to be better. I want to be a better person. I need change. I need, and, 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 I, and I put it in a framework of, man, if I could do it, it would be better. There's some truth to that. But I think if we could have a different perspective, you and I, Oh, we who know Jesus. Our lives actually would shift. We would, we would have a perspective that allows us to even see broader and deeper and be touched in a way that's remarkable. It's a little bit like this. It's a little bit like if I woke up in the morning and I got up and I went out and I, I hear these noises and these crazy noises going on. So I walk out to my front porch and I see the front lawn and there's like dump trucks and people digging up my lawn and I get mad. That same anger. What are they doing to my yard? Foreman comes walking up and says, you know what? All the neighbors around, they just, they love you so much. They want to redo your yard for you. All of a sudden, my whole perspective changes. The one I think, wow, was my yard that bad? Or maybe it's, hey, you know what? There's something amazing happening. And in the midst even of this crazy wrongness or this mess or these things going on, there's something marvelous that I keep my eyes on and it gives me patience. It gives me a perspective that perhaps is really important, especially in these days. So I want to give you that. I want you to think about it from the Bible as we look about what it means to have resurrected life. And we looked when we started last week about the resurrection and... Instead of changing how we look or feel or experience life, what about our expectations of change? Because there's a change coming, and it's this mystery, deep, amazing change. And we saw that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. That's the central tenet of our faith. He started chapter 15 that way. And then Paul turned and says, and you know what? You're going to be raised too. And, and that's fantastic, but it's such a, a, a known thing. It's, it's something that we, you and I, we, we, we accept as Christians. Sometimes we don't go to the depth of what's going on and how it changes life for us. So that's how he continues today. And I want to invite you in this mystery of change. Where it is, what happens, and why, and, 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 and how that might impact what you're thinking about life Okay, so we're going to pick it up right in the middle of the chapter, and I'm sorry, we don't get to go back. It's too long of a chapter. This is one of Paul's longest chapters that he wrote in the Bible. I know he didn't write chapters, but they broke it up, you know, this way. So we're going to pick it up first with what. This what happens in the resurrection, and 
That's verse 35 of chapter 15. Follow along with me. Here we go. Paul says this. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? So, so just stop there with me for a minute, because essentially what Paul's saying is people saying, yeah, yeah, great. I get it. There's a resurrection. But you know what? It bothers me. Tell me more about this resurrection, because it doesn't quite make sense. And you know what? I totally resonate with this. I grew up with science. I'm a Western man. I, I, I was a physician. So, so I have a little bit of problem. I think, start thinking, you know, okay, fine. I'm going to be physically resurrected. And if I'm physically resurrected, then my molecules that make up me, they're mine. But when I die, you know, you know what happens when you die? They bury you. What happens to all the molecules in your body? They kind of dissolve and go everywhere. So little molecules in me may have been molecules that were in somebody else 2,000 years ago. I don't know how to think about it. How, what part of me is me, and what part of me is you, and what part of me is not there? Like, what will I be? And then I think we start thinking even more. This gets crazy fast. Because if you die and you're going to get resurrected, what age are you when you're resurrected? I do not want to be resurrected when I'm 80 as 80. I want to be 20. I want to be young and strong. I don't want to be old and infirm. Sorry, ancient saints, I love you. I don't want to be like you. I want to be fit and young. I start thinking along those lines, don't you? Or, or even people, people I know. I mean, I know people, say you have a club foot, you have some, some physical struggle. To find, say, well, I'm going to be resurrected, I'm going to be like me, am I going to have the club foot because everybody knows me by my limp? Do I got a limp for eternity? People are asking those kinds of questions, and, and those questions all relate to things then being like they are now and this impetus then to get yourself buffed up right because you know you want to be fit and ready you're going to be resurrected like you are maybe the more moral you are maybe the better care you take with your body and paul says wait wait wait, wait maybe i'm being foolish yeah look what he says you foolish person <laughs> what you sow does not come to life unless it dies and what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For, for not all flesh is the same, but there's one kind of humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. Look, Paul says, you're not going to have a body like you have now. It's like planting a seed. We, we talked a little bit about this last week. It's like if you have a, a seed, I took an almond seed, you took an almond, covered in its husk, whatever, and you put that in the ground, then, then what comes out isn't a, a bigger almond. Oh, look at the little baby almond. It looks just like it. No. It's an actual plant that grows. Something totally different than the little seed you put in the ground. It says It's like that, says Paul. So with you, God will make of you what he will in the future. Your resurrection body will be of different stuff. Even different glory, that's where he goes and begins to hear and what's to come. He says, there are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. But the glory of the heavenly is of one kind. The glory of the earthly is of another. There's one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars. For stars differ from stars in glory. 
So it's not that everything that God makes isn't glorious. It is certain glory we have. God made us. But, but, but there's differences, right? I read about a star last week. It's like it says this amazing star that they found puts out more energy and light in 20 minutes than our star does in a whole year. Our star's called the sun. It's amazing difference. And God made them both. Both of them, if you stare at them, they'll kill you. Too long? So it is with the resurrection from the dead, says Paul. So it is with the resurrection from the dead, verse 42. What, what's sown is perishable. What's raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. Okay, just driving into our hearts, right? We will not be the same. We die. When we perish, we're going to be raised. There's not going to be any more death, right? But the reality is right now, I'm spoiling you're spoiling slowly. That's that parish word. And, and this, this is actually a beautiful picture of our lives right now. Here, here, Paul says, this is what your life right now before the resurrection, this is what it looks like. You're dying. Thanks, Paul. Makes me feel great. But, but, but you and I, we fail, right? Our systems collapse. We're imperfect to the end. We don't like to look at this. I think probably 50, 100 years ago, it was the opposite. It was, it was like people didn't really look at sexual things that was hidden away, but they looked at, at, at death because it was in your face. Now it's reversed. Now sexuality is everywhere, but we, we, we almost won't look at death. Death is the failure of your body. You no longer work as you were intended. Your arteries clog. You stop being able to hold on to waste. Sown in dishonor, he says. Yeah. Think about the honor as you really get old and infirm. They have this product called Depends. It's not an honorable product. It's a functional product. They have people that take care of other people and they wipe them down and they, they carry you to the toilet or they do things to help you. This is not a great a symbol of honor like royalty. This is This is being exposed as the infirm person you might be. Isn't it true? It's a messy thing, death. It's a hard thing. It's it's not a, a thing of strength and wonder. It's a thing of weakness. And even says there, you don't die strong. If you last long enough, you die weak. The strongest person, the very strongest person I've ever met, they cannot outlast death. It wears you down. And Paul says, hey, that, so it is, right? Perishable, dishonorable, weakness, natural. But look, what's coming is everlasting. No more entropy. It's glorious all the way through. It's power all the way through. And it's not only physical. It's, it's not only the dust made alive. There's this essence of life to come, this spiritual body. He's not making a contrast between physical and spiritual, like somehow physical stuff is bad, spiritual stuff is good. That's an error of the early church that some people grabbed onto. That's not what he means. He just means it's not only physical. 
You know, Jesus, people say this a lot. People, hey, you know, Jesus, he, after he was raised from the dead, he appeared to the apostles. They knew who he was. They could recognize him. He had a physical resurrected body and say, amen, people will recognize you. But let me, let me add a few things. He walked through walls. Anybody want to try that now? Go for it. We'll have a little um, practice wall out here. Um, we'll have towels and cloths for when you get bruised because you can't do that. Jesus was, he appeared and he disappeared. He was able to manifest physically and, and to be, there was a, a physical aspect to the resurrection, there is. But don't you dare think that's all. This is Paul's point. That you and I can act like what is important is the now. That the life to come is like the life now. And Paul says, no, it's not like that because our life is in Christ. That's where he goes, right? He says, if there was a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. Thus it's written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. It's not the spiritual that's first, but the natural. Then the spiritual. So, so you have this idea. And again, we, we, sometimes we have trouble, so we skip right over this. Yeah, the resurrection's coming. Don't, don't walk through it with me. He says, hey, G, Adam, Adam was made to be alive. God, it's a reference to Genesis, right? God took dust and he breathed life into Adam, so Adam lived. And he carried that life until he could carry it no more, and then he died. And he says, but, but, but there's a Jesus. And what did Jesus? Jesus was born. He always existed, but he was born as a man. To give life. A life-giving Spirit. And, and so he says, look, the first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of dust. That's me. As is the man of heaven, so also the ones who are of heaven. That's the me to come. In Christ. We, as we are now, as Dak Swanson is right now, I cannot inherit heaven. We must be changed. This change is based not on what we do on earth, not how well we live or how we act. It's based solely on what Jesus Christ is going to do to us at a particular time. The first Adam's a living being from the dust, made alive. That's us. The last Adam is a life-giving spirit. That's what we're going to be. We start to see that we have this fruit of the spirit in us, that believing by promise that we've been united to him, what? That we will be changed. I testify to you in very real ways that I have not been changed yet. I testify to that with every funeral I go to. I testified to that with my body getting older, not younger. With You know, used to be I could row. A, I love to row. That's my thing. I like to get on the erg and I row. And I used to, when I was younger, be able to hold a minute and 30 every 500 meters. How cool is that? And now I'm happy if I break two minutes. Why? Dax, you, you work so hard at this. My body is slowly failing. That's a tiny example. This is amazing. Just as we have borne the image, the icon is the literal word, just as we've borne this image of the man of dust, yes, I am physical, look at me, so we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. 
That's Jesus. Okay, at this point, we've got to stop for a second because what comes in right here is something really common. It's, it's this remarkable, remarkable. We say, okay, from dust to dust, that's what we are. That's Adam in us. That's, that's the first man as we were made and we realize we were made. And then what's coming is we're going to be like Jesus and say, I get it. I shall be like Jesus. And so what's happening right now is slowly over time, Christ is formed in me. Really? How? I should be thinking, when is this? Is this now? Is Paul meaning now? What does he mean? Is he meaning that, that slowly over time it's happening right now that, that, that I'm, I see micro changes as if I go down to the level of my DNA, I'm slowly becoming something of heaven. Is that what he means? When? When is this change? I tell you this, brothers. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Let me just say, says Paul, that flesh and blood, that's your living body right now. Life is in the blood. You cannot inherit the kingdom. You and your physical body don't inherit the kingdom because you can't. So Christ is not formed in you now. Like somehow you inherit the kingdom right now, like we're really in heaven, we just can't see it. No, 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 his promises are so sure that we trust it like it's true. But Paul says, no, you got to understand the actuality of it. Something's got to change. This is a great mystery. Right? This incredible change. In fact, that's exactly what he says to us. Behold, I tell you a mystery. Oh, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. This is the mystery, right, that we're going to be changed. By the way, at a specific time. You know that pretty strongly implies you're not changed until that time. At that moment, it's going to happen all of a sudden. When Jesus comes back, this last trumpet is the return of Christ. It's, it's He's coming back. And when this last trumpet sounds, and not gradually, but poof, you're changed. <laughs> the great mystery means I don't really understand. You can't, you can't talk to me about the mechanics of how it's going to happen. I just know it's going to happen, Paul writes. For this perishable body, my body, must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. This is when, at this instance, at the, the last trumpet, then Jesus Christ returns and we're changed. We are firmly looking ahead. I... I I plead with you, my precious church family, one of the biggest problems we have in American Christianity is an over-realized eschatology. Those are big words to say, we're acting like it's heaven now. We're acting like we can, we can control it now. We're taking our hands and saying, I just gotta make the kingdom now. And we get to work making the kingdom now. When it's not, it, it, it it's, it's a change that's gonna happen to you and I when Jesus comes. 
I'm, I'm constantly trying to figure out how much of Christ is formed in me right now, how much better I'm getting, how my obedience is growing, how I'm getting more moral and less worldly. Like somehow means that means I'm closer to the kingdom. No, it's like a poor puppet. It sends this beautiful, beautiful painting of, of this amazing uh, architecture and landscape, and it's gorgeous and beautiful. And over here, we've got something my two-year-old would make. I'm going, oh, look, I've gotten a little better at painting. Now, do you understand? You're going to be a, 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 a masterpiece. Doesn't mean don't paint, but our perspective. You and I need to be changed. The whole hope you and I have is that the mystery of when Jesus comes, he will make us different than we are now because, because we're dying, but we'll be alive. We're weak, but we'll be strong. We're dishonorable, but we'll be glorious. To say you're strong now and honorable now and without weakness now, that's just missing what the Bible's teaching. Because what's coming is that good. Look at it. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, (laughs) when this change happens, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see what he's saying, right? This changing from perishable to imperishable, from mortal to immortality, we don't have it yet. But when it happens, then we can say death is swallowed up in victory. I can't say that yet. Why? I'm going to die. You're dying. It, it, it's, it's something we've made a cliche, but I, I sit with a family as a physician in my younger years, and I'm sitting there with the family, and their, 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 their kid is dying of terrible, painful cancer. And I, and I give the cliche, you'll see her again. But I don't say this, it's victory. No, it's pain and loss, and they'll carry the scar with them for their life. Because these bodies that we have are meant to fail. And this world we live in is fallen. And there's evil things that happen in it. And you know what's coming? All of it will be gone. That's when victory happens, when death is no more. That's real. We are dying now, says Paul, because of sin. Sin we do. I sin. So death stings me. This is the idea. Sin brings death, so when you sin, you get stung with death. You can't get rid of it. And the power of it's the law, says Paul, because the law is just and right and true, and it confirms, yep, you sinned. You imperfect critter that you are. No hope for you in this. And there is no hope, not in that way. Not in me overcoming death through my moral behavior and my sinless life and the law declaring me just. I have no hope. I no hope in a personal holiness kind of way. But 
there is victory. There's victory, thanks be to God. And he says it is through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to a better, stronger life now, but to a coming change where by the power of God, he will raise you from the dead and you will be changed. No more death, no more sin, no more power of death, just victory. (laughs) This is real life. Just one more verse. It's getting a whole section point. Because up till now, you may be just tracking with me. Okay, so get it, Dax. I get it. Paul really presents that the resurrection is where it happens. And my whole hope is when resurrection from the dead. But you know what? I just, I I come to church because I want to know how to live now. And this kind of doesn't help me that much with now. If it just says, hey, it's just coming, then I'm just going to do whatever. Yeah, let's talk about the why of your life. Therefore, my beloved brothers, my beloved sisters, he could be saying, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. What? You just put the whole emphasis, Paul, on coming victory, on death needing to be conquered, on Jesus coming and doing it. You put all the weight there, and now are you taking that back and saying, oh, okay, that's great. There's where your hope is, but work really hard to be a good little kid. Is this Santa Claus? I mean, we're not quite to Christmas yet, but he's watching. He, he's, he's making a list to see if you're naughty or good. No, but Paul wants you to see that if since life is all about the resurrection for you, you're going to die and you're going to be raised from the dead. If it's all about what's coming, then you could say right now, it's just pointless. We can all just do whatever. And Paul says, no, no, no. Right now, be steadfast. Steady. Be immovable. Don't be pushed away. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. What's the work of the Lord? So your labor isn't in vain. Uh, Yeah, live in light of this, says Paul. (laughs) Steadfast, right? That means don't stop holding to the resurrection hope you have. Because you know what? Every single day you're going to be tempted to put your hope somewhere else. You will get tested in this. You will get tested to put your hope in your house or in your kids or in your job or in your wealth or in anything else on this world besides your resurrection hope that my hope is when Jesus comes and he's everything. You be steadfast. Don't you dare give up this hope. And he says, you be immovable. Don't you be moved away from this hope. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, he says. What's the work of the Lord? I I can't help but see a John 6 reference here, don't you? What's the work of God, they said. This is the work of God that you would... Believe in the one whom he has sent. That's it. This isn't some moral call to excellence that we twist it to. It's a holding fast to the good news that Jesus Christ has entered your world and proclaimed that he is with you. And it's true. You have something to share, the incredible forgiveness of Christ for any who will put their trust in him. And so we're in this huge fight, you see, with our own concept of the world and what's important. We want to hold on to every precious moment like, like, like oh, this is, I, I don't, and then we feel such loss when each precious moment is gone. And, and, and so my heart becomes engaged with this world here when actually all my hope is in heaven. Heaven on earth, however you want to say that, we are resurrected. 
often our current concept really is life now, isn't it? Our focus is on the decreasing of our sin and the increasing of our goodness and our current experience of life. And so we postulate somehow that the Holy Spirit is helping me become Jesus. You know, Christ formed in me, that concept, it's out there, I've, I've, I've soaked around. And, and, and wait a minute, I am not having the resurrected Jesus formed in me. I will be resurrected. It's not about me measuring goodness. It's not about me increasing life. It's not about me increasing holiness. It's not about me getting better and better, closer and closer to God. It's about me dying. I see it wrong. You do not make your way up to God by the power of the Spirit. You see that God in Christ has made his way to you. This, this is your life. And the 1 Corinthians 15 concept that we're learning this morning is that change is coming because God in Christ has come to you. He who is high and great has come down in your sin and death and he has died for you. It doesn't mean you no longer sin and therefore, and therefore you don't have death on earth. It's demonstrably false. We all die. It means that he declares goodness and holiness to you by trusting in his promise. And he's promised you this Jesus that he will be with you always. That's the last line of Matthew, right? The last line of Matthew isn't go make disciples. The last line of Matthew is, and lo, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. I am with you, says Jesus to you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. You will be with him forever, and you will be changed. This is our hope. Paul says it in other places. Let me just give you one as we close. He says, one of the ones is here. Even if the slide doesn't change, Philippians chapter 3 says, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await, there it is, or waiting, a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform, there's transformation, our lowly body, that's the one we have now, to be like his glorious body, that's the one we'll have then, by the power that enables him, his power, not ours, to subject all things to himself. You know, there's these two interactions that Jesus has, back to back in the Gospel of John. The first one is in John 3. This guy named Nicodemus, you know Nicodemus, right? He's a Pharisee. Nick at night, we call him. Because he came to Jesus late at night and says, Hey, Jesus, you're a really good teacher. And I want to hear more about your moral lessons that you have. Because, because, and he, and he was a student of religion. He was, he was a person that was saying, I've got a system. Jesus, I want to fit you into it. And Jesus said to that man, I don't have anything to say to you. Nick, you gotta be born again. There's this thing that has to happen to you. You've got to be born again, and you don't even have any concept of how that's going to happen. And he goes through John 3, which has become one of our favorite Bible passages, because it has John 3.16 in it, that whosoever believe in Jesus would have eternal life, because just look to Jesus is what he's saying. I will give you a new birth. When? At the resurrection? No concept, but I'll tell you what. The next chapter, chapter and a half later, Jesus is walking around, and it's not that some woman comes up to him. He goes to somebody. He walks up to a woman from Samaria at the well. Remember that? He says, woman, give me a drink. 
It's not the person coming saying, fit me into my system. It's not even a person really looking for him. Jesus breaks in and says, you know what? I've got something I want to say to you. Just the way you're talking to me. I'm a woman. And I'm from Samaria. And Jesus is like, tells her all this stuff about how bad she is. Amazing stuff she's never heard. And she's so amazed at this man who knows all this stuff she couldn't even remember. She runs around saying, there's this guy and he knows more about me than how does he know these things? Go meet him. We're meant to see the contrast. And you're meant to see the difference. Jesus Christ has broken into your life. And if he has, it's about the wonder that of what he's done. Don't try and fit him into your theological system of you earning heaven. Come today and see that Jesus breaks in and he comes and he says, you can be forgiven. Just trust me. Trust me. This death is going to happen. Trust me through it. These things are going to happen. Trust me through it. This life is going to hit you. Trust me through it because what's coming is a new birth, a resurrection from the dead, and you will be changed. All of the Bible has been told this way. A thousand different ways. The stories of the Bible will come true. The story of creation reaching its intended goal. The story of enemies being defeated in Egypt and Assyria and Babylon and and the powers and principalities. And finally, sin and death. The story of God's victory. The creator's victory over all the forces of chaos and destruction. They come true, but they come true in Jesus. And we, oh precious people, will stand because Jesus Christ has paid for us. Be steadfast. Be movable. Keep your perspective. Don't be pushed off because this world hits you or people try and pull you away from the simple trust of Jesus Christ. Let's pray.